technology today, you're going to want to have it. I'm going to ask for some participation in a couple of ways, and we'll have a, an interactive sermon outline here in a minute for you to share, uh, because our focus today is on connecting with each other and the importance of doing that. And despite the fact that we're the most technology, technologically connected generation, I, I actually came with two phones and two iPads today to church. Uh, and I only have two hands, so I can only manage to have two going at the same time, but there are two more in the office just waiting to be used. I've got to be connected. I've got to be connected. And uh, if you don't believe that's important, notice how hard it is not to use your phone when you're driving. Uh, I, I uh, was edumacated in the ways of Longview yesterday. Uh, I had a meeting at 3 o'clock, and I left in plenty of time to get here from the hotel where I was staying, except nobody told me that it takes twice as long to drive the loop on Saturday in Longview than it does any other time. <laughs> and in Dallas, on Saturday, the freeways are not as crowded, and you have, you have to go at least 78 miles an hour, or you get run over. And here, it was against the will of the community to go above 37. <laughs> and so I was like that. And even so, half the people were doing this, trying to drive with their knee, you know, going down the road using their technological devices. We're connected. We have all sorts of ways to be connected. And it's wonderful. I've done Bible studies in China from my living room. That's a cool thing. But as technology has crescendoed, and some of you remember the first time you used a push-button phone, okay, for all us oldie goldies, you remember that? That was the introduction of the computer into our home. That was our first computer that most of us used. Since the introduction of the push-button phone, we have become increasingly an isolated and lonely society. Going back 40 years, you could hear the words of songs that would say, I am, I cried, I am, said, I, I am lost, and I can't even say why, leaving me lonely still, or my words like silent raindrops fell and echoed in the wells of silence, or for all those old, crusty, three-dog night fans, one is the loneliest number. Y'all remember some of that? Those are oldie goalies. But I'm asking you to text me right there. All right? Text me your lonely song that's not so old. Can you think of one? Now, I'm counting on you doing that because I'm going to come back to that in just a second. But there's a reason that we're talking about that. Because one of the loneliest places, despite the grip and the grin, can be church. If you go through a crisis and nobody's there for you, you wonder, what's wrong with me? Don't I count? 
aren't my loved ones important? Why does no one notice I'm gone? Why am I sitting by myself? Why are all these people talking with each other, but nobody will talk with me? It's kind of lonely. We want to talk about how does a church belong to Jesus? And if it belongs to Jesus, how does church deal with that sense of loneliness? Let's pray. Father, we ask with all that we are and all that we have that we can be connected with each other and with you. We want, we want to belong, and we want others to belong who feel alone and isolated and unwanted. And so we ask that you send the Holy Spirit as we open your word, and we begin a series on being connected. and bring us together. We ask that as we continue our prayer and song. In the name of Jesus, amen. often think of that song as a prayer, but that's what that song is really all about. And uh, you heard prayers this morning, and you'll hear more in your Bible class about folks that are near and dear to this church family and uh, the broken hearts that are among us because of some of those struggles. And so when we sing that song, we ask that God does bind us together. Uh, you'll see a little... Uh, uh, URL up there. If you have a mobile device, I encourage you to turn to that. It's got an interactive outline. It'll help you with what we're doing. Uh, my phone is blowing up. You guys know a lot of lonely songs. Uh, I, I thought for sure somebody would, you know, bring up this one. Are you lonely tonight? <laughs> Nobody turned in that one, but it may be below, but before everybody's time, but uh, here are a couple that came through. I learned the truth at 17. That's an old song, but it's, uh, it's a good one. I am a rock, I am an island, the lonely, when it rains, hurricane, 
Wasted Time by the Eagles. Lonely Boy by Paul Lankin. Now that's a trip. That's a trip back. Lonely is the Night. Yeah, that's a good song. Uh, Only the Lonely. All by Myself. Sunday Morning Sidewalk. <laughs> yeah, there's an Elvis song. Uh, Old Lang Syne by Dan Fogelberg. That's another old song. I'll have a blue Christmas without you. You won't be lonely for all our uh, rock and rollers out there. I'm so lonesome I could cry. All by myself, Mr. Lonely, The Dance by Garth Brooks. Sad song, a lonely song, uh, Only the Lonely, Eleanor Rigby. That's an oldie, oldie. Uh, my heart, my mind, my body, my soul, Lord, take control. That's a Christian song. Uh, yesterday, uh, Alone Again Naturally, uh, the Jars of Clay song, something beautiful, and Heartbreak Hotel, and they're still coming in. The point I wanted to make is, despite the fact of being so well-connected, every survey that's done says we're incredibly lonely. Now, you live in a community where you probably know most people on your street, but you know the vast majority of Americans can't name two neighbors on their street. They can't give their names. I joke because uh, uh, I think two things have influenced isolation and loneliness, allow us to, to uh, cocoon away from others more than any, uh, any other inventions. One of them is air conditioning because we don't sit on the front porch anymore and talk with our neighbors. And so front porches have gone away. If you look at modern homes, they're, they're not, they're just little stoops, but they're called a front porch, but they're stoops. We're building a house in, uh, in Fort Worth and we don't have a porch. We have a little tunnel that leads to the front door. We can't even put flowers on it. It's so small. We don't have that anymore. The other thing that's interfered with it are garage door openers. And so we can, up goes the door, pull in our car, down goes the door. We walk in the back door because we don't have to keep it locked. And we're all by ourselves, but nobody's going to bother us. We even have ID on the phone so we don't have to answer phone calls from folks we don't want. And so... We can be all by ourselves. Well, let me tell you that because of this loneliness, the International Olympic Committee has gotten together, and I'm going to tell you a little fact you probably did not know. After the Rio Games, the International Olympic Committee announced a new event for church attenders, and it'll be part of the next Olympic Games in Tokyo. Have y'all heard this? It's on ESPN. Have y'all not been watching? Well, here's the Olympic game. It's called Hide and Angry. Doesn't that sound like a good... It's a, it's a spin off the old hide and seek game, but it's hide and seek for church members. And it's church members who come to church and they kind of slip in and they find their seat... And they don't fill out a card, and they won't join a group, and they're not real into Bible class. But problems happen in their life, and they get mad because nobody seems to notice they're not at church. 
and doesn't help them. Y'all have any folks like that? Any folks here like that on the pew next to you? Or maybe inside you on the pew with you? Church is about being the body of Christ. About being the family of God. But if we're not connected to each other, that just becomes language that inoculates us against church. I'll give you one example. And it's incredible in our churches that are so biblically aware that we don't even know this is true. When Paul says, anyone who eats or drinks without discerning the body of Jesus drinks damnation to themselves. When he uses the term body in 1 Corinthians, without blood, it always means the church is belonging to Jesus. What he's saying is, when we take the communion and we don't recognize the vitality of everybody that takes that bread with us. He's not talking about Jesus' body on the cross. We do that naturally. We remember his death till he comes. But in Corinth, they were all doing the Lord's Supper individually. Some were getting drunk. Some were being left out. And they weren't even focusing on each other. Communion is a time not just to remember the past, but to celebrate the victory. We do do it on Sunday. We celebrate the supper on Sunday, the day of victory. And we anticipate it's coming again, but we do it as one body. And if we neglect each other, something's lost. Now, let me warn you about the Olympic events that are coming up, because if you're going to be a part of this event, you need to make sure you don't join the small group and you don't go to a Bible class. And then when... Bad things happen and nobody seems to notice at church. You can be good and angry, but you need to know slots are filling up. ACU, I've, I've just gotten this updated last night. ACU already has 1,223 signed up for their team. And Lipscomb has 1,120, but they're closing fast. And Harding is determined to surface 1,600 and have more than anybody. But be warned, there are only 1,600 available beds in the dorms in 2017. So you better hurry if you're going to join the hide and angry team. Now, of course, I'm saying that all tongue-in-cheek because we want to focus on this church being sticky, sticking together. We want this to be a Velcro church. We don't want this to be a blue tape church. You know, that blue tape stuff is a fancy way to pay more for masking tape than masking tape. And it's temporary. And so you put it down on stuff that you want to block off and then zip it off. And, you know, hopefully you have a nice, clear, straight line where you paint it over the blue tape. Now, if anybody's had good luck with that, I'd like to know because my line is never quite like it is on all the home shows. It's always a lot more jagged. But then I think they stand farther away when they look at it. 
But a lot of us approach church more like blue tape than we do Velcro. Because people do get neglected. And some of those people are reserved people. And some of those folks are introverts. Sometimes people get neglected because they don't want to make a commitment to be a part of something. Because you get involved with people and they take up your time and it's messy and it's difficult. But we don't want anyone neglected. Bottom line, being intimately connected to people is crucial for a a number of reasons. But here are two that I want you to think about. We need to be connected to the life of the church because some people here are going to need us. Everybody here comes from a circle, a network of relationships. You know different sets of people than anybody else in this church. And when they go through a hard time or when they have a really good thing to celebrate, they need you and they need to be connected to you. But there's another reason. Life happens. And we don't get to choose what happens with life. And you don't know what the next phone call or text message or email is going to tell you. And some of those times when there are difficulties, you're going to need somebody. Today we start an eight-lesson series, or a seven-lesson series, on the importance of being connected with each other. And we're calling it Velcro. I want to share with you a couple of... We're going to root this in Scripture, so I want to share with you a a couple of stories from the ministry of Jesus. One of them is in Mark 1. It's Jesus. He goes up to... He's going down the road, and a leper comes and falls at him, and he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says... I am willing. But what does he do first before he heals him? You remember? He heals him by saying, you're clean. But what does he do first? He walks over to the leper and he touches him first. Technically, he broke the holiness code. Now, why in the world would he do that? Because he wanted that man to know he had value, he had purpose, he had meaning. There was value in him even though he had not been touched by a non-leprous person in who knows how long. And so he includes him. In addition, when Jesus heals him, he speaks, you're healed, he says, Now, you go show yourself to the priest. Don't go tell everybody about it. You go show yourself to the priest. Now, why in the world would he do that? The dude's excited. He's thrilled. He's not a leper anymore. Why wouldn't he just go tell everybody? It seems like it would be good for Jesus' ministry. Because there was a way that man re-entered society. And the priest would pronounce him clean, and he would make a sacrifice to honor God, and the priest would let everybody in the community know that he was clean. Jesus wanted him not just well physically, he wanted him well socially. Go home, 
Well, in Mark 5, we see another guy. This is called Freaky Fred. I've heard him called Freaky Fred. You remember the guy in Mark 9? He lived in the cemetery. He was buck naked. Now, that's how we say it in these texts. That the Greek is not there. He just says he went around without clothes on. But we say he's buck naked. Except he was hideous. Because he's shrieking. Cutting himself with stones. Living among the tombs. They tried to bind him with chains. Nobody could bind him. He was uncontrollable. He was possessed by a legion of demons. We don't even know his name. And so Jesus heals him. Scares the willies out of everybody. Because nobody had ever seen such a thing. And it wasn't really good for the pig population either. Do I have any pig hunters in here? I know there's some pig hunters. Raise your hand. Okay. You know that's biblical because Jesus killed a thousand pigs. I don't think anybody in here has killed a thousand pigs yet. But a thousand pigs went over into the brink. And the man is clothed and in his right mind and he's seated with Jesus. And the demons were gone. And Jesus tells him, no, you can't follow me. You go home and you tell your family what the Lord has done for you and that he's had mercy on you. Why would he do that? The family needed to know their son was okay, but better than okay. He was God's. And that he had a mission and he had a purpose. And he was not isolated any longer and he didn't live among the tombs. In Mark 5, we find the woman. You remember her, right? She had the flow of blood. It wouldn't stop. She couldn't go to the synagogue. She couldn't go to the market. She couldn't lie in bed with her husband. She couldn't spend time with her children or her relatives. What'd she do? She got down on her knees and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. She was violating the Old Testament law. She was in a crowd, she was unclean. But she was desperate. She spent all she had on doctors that couldn't cure her. If you've ever been a shy person, you don't understand why Jesus did what he did to her. Because it seems like he calls her out, right? Because here's this crowd, and it's literally falling on top of Jesus. And, and he says, somebody touched me. And you can just see people just kind of coming to a stop as Jesus stops. And the disciples go, Lord, people are falling on top of us. What do you mean somebody's touching you? Yeah, we're getting crushed. And he said, no, I felt power come from out, outside of me and go into someone. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear and told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, be freed from your Suffering. Why would Jesus do that? Why not just let her go on with her miracle? Well, one is he's affirming her faith. She did a risky thing. Second thing, he's restoring her back into that community and letting that community know she's well and clean again. But third, he's letting everybody know she matters to him. 
When we look at Jesus in his ministry, Jesus cared about people. He wanted them to belong. And so we want to ask Jesus, what in the world were you thinking when you did all these things? What was the purpose of this? And in each of these, he's restoring each of these people to their family and their community. He's letting them belong again. Secondly, he's recognizing the value and significance of them as individual people. That they belonged to God. They had purpose and meaning. But like... The culture that we are, raised on Star Wars and fantastic movies and special effects, we, we reach for the glitzy event and the sparkly miracle, and we get distracted from the real important things that happen. We go, my goodness, Jesus stopped a thousand demons. Oh, my goodness, he just spoke and leprosy left the guy. Oh, my goodness, Jesus just pronounced peace on this woman because she touched him and she was instantly healed. And we're amazed at the sparkly thing. But the people that were healed, they experienced something different. They they were focused on being brought back to life, connected with others being included in the people of God. Well, the question is, why? And there's a couple of things that I want us to walk away with today. We're going to focus on three principles, and we're going to bring it to an end after these three principles. Number one, life is not to be done alone. You remember the very, one of the very first things God says about human beings, it's not good for him to be alone. One is the loneliest number. Then you read a little later in that chapter in Genesis, when God wants to create humans, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, what does he say? Let us make this human being in our image. God himself is not alone. He is three in one. We make a personal choice to decide to follow Jesus. Nobody's arguing that. That choice is personal. But we don't have a choice of whether or not we need or will be a part of a fellowship of other disciples. What happens in Acts 2 when folks are baptized? You remember that? The Lord added to their fellowship daily those who are being saved. We talk about nobody can be a Lone Ranger Christian, but at least Lone Ranger had Tonto. And there's lots of folks that just try to be Lone Ranger without Tonto. Jesus made clear that we need other people, and he brought us into a community of disciples. In fact, we're hardwired. Our DNA says we need each other to live productively. And so God puts the lonely in families. One of the biggest travesties is that the majority of adults in America are single And now, in most city churches, the majority of churches are single people. But most of them feel isolated because we don't know what to do with them. But the church is designed as a place for singles to have family. Just like it is for marrieds and children. 
We need each other, and God wants us to find our place in family. Life is not meant to be done alone. Number two, ministry is best done in partnership with others. I still remember when a famous missionary uh, and church growth expert came and talked in chapel at ACU, and he chewed us a new rear end. There's not another way to put it. And he goes, you guys claim to speak where the Bible speaks, and that you send out missionaries by themselves. Where do you find that in the Bible? And out of that was birthed the whole movement to send out missionaries in teams. Because we don't do stuff alone. We don't do ministry alone. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he sent them out two by two. When Jesus chose to do ministry, he didn't do it by himself, but he chose 12 apostles to be a small group, and he chose three of those apostles to be his accountability team. We came up with Bible class. Well, we stole it from the Baptists, uh, and, and that's a historical fact. And we pushed Bible class, but Jesus gave us the example of a small group. You're not going to find Bible class anywhere in Scripture. I love Bible class. I think it's good. I'm going to be teaching Bible class next week. But one of the reasons you have to have small groups is Jesus saw the importance of it. That's what the apostles were. We know Paul crashed twice in his ministry. I mean, he just fell flatter than a flitter. Splattered. Was lonely. Anxious. One was, uh, one was when he was in Athens. And he gives this great sermon on Mars Hill... And then is laughed out of town, and he goes to Corinth in weakness and in much fear. He says in Second Corinthians one, or First Corinthians two, I came to you in weakness and in fear. I was devastated, and he did that because he was by himself. He got all worked up, and Silas and Timothy were gone, and he just took off and tried to do ministry on his own. Pow! If Paul can't do ministry by himself, what makes us think we can? The other time was Second Timothy, and he's lonely. And forsaken, and people have betrayed the faith. And he says, Timothy, 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 come to me quickly. Bring my coat, bring my writings. Please get here. Winter is coming. And he's lonely. Number three, prayer is an our thing more than it is a my thing. Most of us experience prayer individually. Isn't that right? And I believe in the importance of personal daily prayer. But when Jesus taught us to pray, how did he say to pray? Say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's the old King James Version. But it didn't start out, my Father does it. It starts out, our Father. We need each other. And we know prayer is intensely personal and it's intimate with God. And we've got to have that relationship. And all the great uh, heroes of faith had that. But prayer is an our thing. It's an our father principle. Jesus didn't want us to do it alone. So this morning, we're beginning a journey. And it's a journey on sticking together because we're sticking with Jesus. And if we're going to be stuck on Jesus, guess what? He's going to put us in the same place to stick with others. I know that you've got a whole new school year beginning. 
And even though it says January is the first of the year, we all know that's not true. The beginning of the church year is when school starts, isn't it? Our kids' classes get going. The youth group gets moving. <clears throat> and I know the summer was a frantic time of activity. You saw the, the children's ministry and all their stuff and it ran the wheels off the teenagers with all the stuff that went on with the teens. But now we're in the groove. We're getting started. This is a great time to get involved with others here in this church through Bible class and small group. But before that matters, you've got to be involved with Jesus. And so we want to give you an opportunity in this song as we stand and sing. If you're not a part of Jesus or you're not a part of his family, feel free to come. Let's come together as we stand and sing.